Hi everyone. Uh, unfortunately, yesterday in both the 11 a.m. service and the 4 p.m. service, the recording didn't work. Uh, so this is me re-giving the sermon uh, in my office uh, to camera uh, now. Um, this is the third um, talk in a short series looking at human sexuality. So two weeks ago, um, we looked at the culture's view of sexuality predominantly through the lens of the sexual revolution and how damaging that's been for us both on an individual and a societal level. Last week, week two, we looked at God's view of sexuality, did a Bible overview, pointing us ultimately to the eternal union and perfect marriage between Christ and the church on the final day, and why that is good news for all of us, uh, wherever we're coming on listening to this sermon. Now, uh, today, in this third talk, I want us to begin to think, okay, well, how do we live this out uh, practically? How do we live out our sexuality? And of course, this is an absolutely huge topic and it could go off in all sorts of directions. So in order to provide some structure uh, to this sermon, I want us to think in three overarching directions. First, in terms of our own personal relationship with the Lord. How do we live this out with him? Sort of an up direction. Then I want us to think about how do we live this out uh, inwardly as a church family together? And then thirdly and finally, how do we live this out as Christians uh, living in the world? So up, in and out. And what I'll do is I will bring in some of the questions that you posted on Slido. Thank you very much for all of you that posted and upvoted them. And I'll bring in the most popular ones in each of those different sections. Of course, I don't have um, time to cover all of the questions uh, in this uh, sermon, but really keen for us to continue the conversation afterwards. Please do reach out to me. Really keen to be chatting um, with you some more and just walking through with you guys together in, on this really important topic. But first of all, before we look at these three directions, up in out, um, I want to spend a few minutes considering the reading we had yesterday from John chapter 4 and the way that Jesus pastors this Samaritan woman and encourages her to live out her sexuality. Because this gives some really helpful principles for us in, way that, in the way Jesus pastors us today and then through us how we can pastor and encourage others in living out their sexuality. And if you've got John 4 open in front of you, I wonder if you um, notice verses 1 to 26 that there is no condemnation from Jesus towards the Samaritan woman uh, at all. Even though the, we're told that the woman has had five husbands, verse 18, uh, even though the man she is currently with is not her husband, um, so she is cohabiting, she's falling short of God's ideal, and Jesus knows all this about her, even though she's trying to hide it or she's not too forthcoming with it. And yet there is no condemnation from Jesus towards her. And instead, he moves out towards her in love and compassion and speaks, first of all, to her heart, verse 14, not her external behavior. As Jesus knows that what she is longing for is only found in relationship with him. And so he, he offers her this like um, a, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And even though he does that, points first and foremost to himself and come to me, um, he does not affirm everything about her, uh, but speaks truthfully about her sin, verse 17, and then calls her to follow him as the Messiah, verse 26, the Christ, and the Lord of all, the Lord of her life, and the one who truly knows best for her and for her sexuality. And putting this all together, I think this is so important for us as we come today to the very concrete, practical outworking of all this, of what we've seen in the series so far, amidst the messiness of life, amidst our fallenness and brokenness and sinfulness, and perhaps some of us you know, listening to this feel a little bit like the Samaritan woman. And 
and, and, and come today with um, the stigma and the pain and the rawness and, and shame sometimes um, of, our, of, of our sexualities. But I want us all to be absolutely clear that in the person of Jesus Christ, we have someone who treats us with such gentleness and such grace and no condemnation and moves out to each of us in love and compassion and points us first and foremost to himself as the one who truly satisfies, as the one to whom all our sexuality points and then calls us as our Lord, Christ, Messiah, to follow him and to trust that what he says is truly the best for our, our lives. And as Jesus pastors others in this way, so we can, sorry, as Jesus pastors us, you know, so we can pastor uh, others. Okay, so let's like uh, apply all this now in these three directions up, in and out. And first of all, in our own personal relationship with the Lord, because as we saw in the way that Jesus passes the Samaritan one, he points to him first. This is where we need to begin uh, with the one to whom all our sexuality uh, points. So I think a key question for us to be thinking through is how are we growing in a deeper intimacy with Jesus Christ? I think this has got to be the first most important application question uh, of all. Now, how do we develop that intimacy? What does this look like exactly? Life in London can be so busy, there's so many competing demands on our time. How do we prioritise our relationship with Jesus Christ above, above all other relationships, as important as these other ones are? How do we prioritise him and put him first? Are we spending quality time with him each day? rather than just giving him the fag ends of our day? And how closely are we listening to his voice in scripture, which is full of grace and truth? How much are we being molded and shaped by his word, rather than the very strong, overly sexualized cultural voices that are coming at us? Now, how much are we pouring out our concerns in this area to him, our desires, our fears, our anxieties, our joys, to him in prayer, seeking his wisdom from his word, drawing on his strength, because boy, do we need it in this area, and asking him to speak to us and work through us and help us to live out our sexuality for him. It's so important uh, for those listening who are married that we keep Jesus right at the heart of our marriages, that how are we going to continue loving each other, forgiving each other, for better, for worse, and sickness and health, where it's only as we are appreciating and resting in God's unconditional love and forgiveness for each of us individually as spouses, and that's what's uniting us together. Now, is the in first instinct to, to go to, to Jesus um, in times of travel or difficulty, or to go to our spouse, because we need him above all else? Similarly, when it comes to our singleness, it is vital that we keep Jesus at the heart of our singleness that we really are complete now in him, if we have relationship with him, that we are lacking nothing now if we have him, that we're living our best life now with him. And so our desire for intimacy, our desire perhaps for sexual intimacy, our desire to get married, is does it stop there? Or do we like follow it through to where it ultimately points and our relationship with Jesus Christ and the perfect relationship with him God's love for his people for all time in the heavenly marriage. I was struck by something Ed Shaw wrote in an article on the Living Out website, a fantastic website which helps to partially support and resource Christians with same-sex attraction. The article was entitled, What's Wrong with a Permanent 
faithful, stable, same-sex relationship. Now, Ed himself experiences same-sex attraction, so he's writing from that perspective. And at the end of the article, he wrote this. It all comes down to Jesus. I am willing to forgo a permanent, faithful, stable, same-sex relationship in the here and now because I'm already enjoying a permanent, faithful, stable relationship with him in all his beauty. A relationship that will one day be perfectly consummated in the new heavens and new earth. He is the truest vision of life that I know. And so I'm willing to put my trust in him. My hope and prayer is that all of us would have this same vision of Jesus Christ in all his beauty and have him as the truest vision of life and for our sexuality. And that's not to say that, not to say that there is real and, and pain and loneliness at times in singleness, that there can be real pain and loneliness for those who are, are celibate. And of course, I know I say this as someone who is married, who is a father of six, and perhaps you think, Mark, what do you know about my experience as a single or a celibate person? You know, I don't, and I don't pretend to, but I know that in the person of Jesus Christ, he does know. He knows what you're going through. He sympathises with you. Jesus was single and celibate his whole life. He lived the most beautiful of lives. Earth marriage is only temporary. Till death us do part. At the end of the day, it all comes down to Jesus Christ, knowing him, following him, knowing his love, his forgiveness, his washing us clean, him calling us to himself. That relationship between Christ and the church on the final day. And that is true whether we are single, married, whatever our relationship at status. So let's grow deeper in our intimacy and relationship with Jesus Christ. Would this be the main first takeaway from this sermon series? Now, at this point, I'd like to draw out um, or draw in um, two of the most upvoted questions on Slido. And can I say that the, the questions were all excellent? I do want to address some of them publicly. Um, I do want to try to offer something here which is concise and helpful. But I also want to say that there's no way I can do justice to any of these questions in just a couple of minutes. These are complex questions. They fall within the wisdom category of the Bible, so there are no black and white easy answers. And that's probably why you are um, asking these specific questions. And therefore, Depending on the different context that each of us are in, it may actually look different in the way we work this out for, for each of us. And so what I'm offering here is some reflections that each of us can prayerfully weigh up against Scripture as you seek the Lord's will for your life in the particular scenarios. And if what I say raises more questions, then like, please do email me or catch up with me um, afterwards. Okay, the top question on Slido was about a biblical response to sex within marriage, uh, not for procreation, and therefore about the use of contraception. I think given the current cultural climate that we live in today, where sex has been so disconnected from procreation in most people's mindsets, then for us as Christians, it's really important that we try to reunite that uh, connection between sex and and having having children and procreation as much as possible. I think then the next sort of stage of a, of a, of a conversation around this would be, um, is this connection between sex and having children um, an inseparable connection in every single sex act, every time a married couple has sex, as the Roman Catholic Church would argue in Humanae Vitae, um, and therefore would argue against contraception. You need to be open to the possibility in every single sex act, 
or is actually this connection, not so much in every single sex act, but to take the married relationship as a whole, which is how Oliver Donovan would argue this, a Christian ethicist who wrote Resurrection and Moral Order, and therefore there being a permissibility of contraception uh, for Christian believers. But even if we grant the permissibility of contraception, it's important to make a distinction between that and a contraceptive mindset, or at least a predominantly cultural contraceptive mindset, which is not open to the possibility of children, or perhaps says that children are um, bad, or they're too expensive, or they will uh, prevent me from achieving our life goals, or stop us being our, our best at selves. And I think as Christians, we want to say, no, one of the God-given purposes of marriage and sexual intimacy for marriage is to be open to the possibility of children, and that children are a blessing from the Lord. Peter Leach um, has written a, a lengthy article on, on his blog called Contraception and the Contraceptive Mindset, which I'd recommend you looking at if you want to explore this uh, further. Second uh, most popular question was, what advice and support do you have for church members who are not married but cohabiting? Now, if by cohabiting you mean um, having a sexual relationship, then I think I'm on safe grounds to advise you to stop having sex until you are married because of Jesus's um, clear teaching in Matthew 19 that we saw last week, quoting Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, that God's gift of uh, sex um, is exclusively for uh, marriage within that faithful, stable um, relationship where he calls us to be fruitful um, and multiply. But following the way that Jesus passes the Samaritan when it in John 4, perhaps the deeper question, perhaps even the first question, would be to consider why are you not um, married? Like what is holding you back from that? And there'll be lots of different reasons for, for each of you um, if many people are asking this uh, question. It could be for some of you, um, it's, it's that one of you is not committed enough for that, in which case it might be worth a pastoral conversation around the nature of the relationship and where it is heading and what you think it is for. Uh, perhaps for others of you, it's actually um, practical concerns. Weddings are expensive and you need to fly a parent over from abroad and you need to save up from it. And you're imagining this amazing wedding that's really expensive. And perhaps it would then be a pastoral conversation around what a wedding day uh, needs to be. Either way, as you work out what these heart issues are for each of you leading to the, this behaviour, the call from Christ would be to stop having sex until married. That is the way God has designed it um, to be. Now, so much that could be said um, more on both of those questions and in how we live our sexuality out before the Lord. But I want to move on now, secondly, to how we live this out um, as a church family and the sort of indirection. And two areas I want to focus on here. First are, um, is friendship within the church family and also um, our relationship as a local church within the wider Church of England. So first, friendship. I wonder if this is one of the lost categories, not just in our culture, um, but in our churches uh, as well. We live in, a, in, in such a hypersexualized culture, it is hard to form uh, deep, intimate friendships without there being sort of sexual innuendo or it becoming sexualized. I mean, we even have that quite common phrase, friends with benefits, friends you have sex with. And for those who I've spoken to, have experienced with this, you know, it's, that's not very helpful uh, for, the, for the friendship. But one of the beauties of Christian community is not only is there the one flesh union of sexual intimacy between husband and wife, there is also the one body union of brotherly and sisterly love within the body of Christ and the family of God. 
And that is a deep, rich, expansive intimacy. Um, in her book, Confronting Christianity, Rebecca McLaughlin makes this point. Fantastic book, by the way, do recommend it. In our sexualized world, we might think that a deeply meaningful hug with a Christian friend or a loving arm around our shoulders is inevitably dwarfed by the greater physical intensity of sex. But while sexual contact may involve a more powerful physiological response, it is not necessarily more truly intimate. In fact, it is all too common for people to gain physical pleasure from sex without deep emotional connection. But that sort of rich, deep emotional connection is something that we really can experience here at Inspire St. James as we live out the fullness of our Christian community and unity in the Lord Jesus Christ and genuinely share our lives with one another in a God-honouring way. And not just have singles hanging out with singles or marrieds hanging out with marrieds, but all of us experiencing the rich diversity of life stages that the Lord has given us here as a church. You hear a lot about life being so lonely in this city of London, but is this not where the church can really make a difference and really help around this themes of intimacy, not giving a complete solution, but certainly a significant help as we go deeper in our Christian friendship within the church and experience a richer joy of Christian fellowship. And I'm really keen to hear from you about how we can do that well here, how we can do that better here. Please do feedback in Inspire Groups. Please feedback directly to me or um, the staff team. Secondly, let me apply this in terms of our relationship as a local church within the wider Church of England. Obviously, there was General Synod this week, governing body of the Church of England. They were meeting Monday to Wednesday, and there were quite a few questions on Slido about this. Suffice it to say that the Church of England is deeply divided on this issue of prayers of blessing for same-sex couples. But I want to be absolutely clear that this fundamentally is an issue around the authority and sufficiency of Jesus's clear teaching in scripture on sex and relationships, and whether the house of bishops will follow Jesus and his word on this or not. It also seems like the bishops are trying to force through a significant change to liturgical practice, which reflects doctrine, by trying to sidestep processes in general synod that are specifically designed to stop these kinds of pig changes happening when the church is so divided on it. This issue is so serious because of what we've seen throughout this series on God's good design for sex and relationships and how damaging it is pastorally, individually, for the unity of the church and the wider Anglican communion, not least for mission, whenever we turn away from that good design revealed in scripture, no matter how small a step that is, from God's good word and true word in scripture. I'd like to reassure you all that I feel deeply called um, to this church, to this place, at this time, this parish, this BMO, and I will not be leaving the Church of England anytime soon. However, because these prayers of blessing for same-sex unions are contrary to the doctrine of scripture and contrary to the canons of the Church of England itself, I will not be using them and I will struggle to serve under any bishop who thinks it is okay to do so. 
Now, how those two things work out is messy and unclear at the moment, not least because the bishops are yet to provide the pastoral uh, guidance that they had promised. So please pray for me, please pray for our leadership team for wisdom. We're meeting at the end of this month, Thursday the 30th of November, and we'll be making decisions about what it looks like to have visible differentiation in this area. And as soon as we've made those concrete decisions, we will of course communicate them clearly to you. But day to day, on the ground, I think there'll be very little difference for you. Okay, so we thought about how to work out, live out our sexuality in terms of our, in our relationship with the Lord, in terms of us as a church family. Now, thirdly, finally, let's think about how to live this out uh, in the world. Again, I'm going to um, focus on two areas. These are two real life scenarios that members of the church family have come up to without saying, hey, Mark, what do I do here as a Christian? One is around um, the wearing of rainbow lanyards at work. The other is about using uh, preferred pronouns um, with friends or colleagues. But let me frame um, this discussion in the wider context of it being increasingly costly to stand up for Jesus Christ in this particular area uh, in this country. You know, no matter how well thought through we are on these two scenarios, no, no matter how articulate we are in communicating our position, no matter how clear our consciences are before the Lord, no, ma- no matter how loving and compassionate we are moving out to people, it may well still be the case that there is a cost to stand firm for the biblical sexual ethic in 21st century London today. It has always been hard to follow Jesus Christ in this world. And this could be the particular pressure point for us right now here in London and the UK. So it's important just for have to have our expectations uh, straight. Now, in terms of wearing rainbow lanyards at work, some Christians would argue that you can wear them insofar as they affirm all of us are equally made in the image of God, and therefore everyone deserves fair treatment, and no one should be harassed, bullied, or discriminated against simply because of their sexuality. And that we can wear that because we all should believe in that, even if we don't go along with everything the LGBTQ movement stands for. Well, I think there is a question here of how well do we communicate that? How clearly can we communicate that in terms of what we do affirm and what we don't affirm? Other Christians would argue that we shouldn't wear the rainbow lanyards because we don't get to choose what the lanyards symbolise. And we don't want to be seen to affirm any sexual practice which goes against God's ideal for them. Of course, there can be a great deal of moral pressure from colleagues or HR to join in. But it's important for us to know that Christian belief is as protected under the Equality Act as sexual orientation. And in fact, under the law, refusing to participate in pride is not an act of discrimination, whereas forcing a Christian to participate in it is. And so my advice would be for each of us to pray this through with the Lord, given our own unique context, our own unique workplace, our own unique relationships with our colleagues and with our boss, seeking the Lord's wisdom primarily, but asking our boss or HR about it. You know, I'm a Christian, what advice would you give me on this? But wherever we land on this, let's see it as an opportunity, like Jesus with the Samaritan, to move out in love and compassion, focus not just on external behavior, whether we wear the lanyards or not, but go deeper to our motivations and to point people to Jesus Christ as the one in whom true acceptance and true relational intimacy is found. 
And if you want to understand more about your legal rights as a Christian in this area, do check out the Christian Concern website. Okay, as for the use of preferred pronouns, and I'm conscious this is a really um, difficult um, area for Christians, particularly for, for, for some of you here in work where it can be an HR disciplinary process to misgender um, someone. I think there is an important distinction to be made between preferred names and preferred pronouns because names tend to be culturally specific whilst pronouns are actually describing the reality of someone's sex. So whilst in good conscience Christians could use someone's name without feeling that they are lying, to use preferred pronouns which go against someone's biological sex would be for a Christian an inversion of reality and a reality that we belong to as male or female people ourselves. So you may feel under God that you can't go along with that. And Abigail Favali in Genesis of Gender, page 208, and has a really good section on this. If you don't have the book, feel free to ask me about it. You can borrow it from me. Of course, there is a tension here between speaking the truth and moving out in love and compassion. And I think this depends on the nature of our relationship. If you're meeting someone for the first time, it's probably not advisable to jump straight into a debate around the use of preferred pronouns and, and simply use someone's chosen name. And in, and in most situations, that's exactly what you can do. But as your relationship grows and trust is there and perhaps they're open to a conversation about the Christian position on this and they ask you for that, you know, in a personal capacity, um, that would be the time to lean more into the truth, you know, about God, how God has made us, male and female, and why this is good news. But even then, following Jesus with the Samaritan, I don't think our first move is straight to like stop using the wrong pronouns, but actually to point one another to Jesus Christ first as the one who truly names us, truly loves us, and then calls us to follow him as the best way to live life. And I think that's a really nice way for us to sort of finish this sermon and this series with all the focus back on Jesus Christ, because as we've seen, it's all about him. In the first talk, whenever we turn from his good ideal, we've seen the difficulty, the pastoral damage um, that is done. In week two, God's good news for sexuality, all pointing to Jesus Christ and his relationship with the church. And as we thought about how to live it out, both in terms of our relationship with the Lord and in the church and in the world, it's all about him growing deeper in our relationship with him, having our hearts transformed by him so we love what he loves, hate what he hates, shaped by his word. And as it's, this internal transformation is happening in our hearts, motivations and desires, that's what's going to work its way out in all sort of types of behaviour and even ones we've not been able to cover uh, today. So let's grow more deeply and intimately in our relationship with Jesus Christ in the week ahead as we live out our sexuality for him. Well, let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you very much for all that you've been showing us through this short sermon series on sexuality. And today we want to thank you so much for the way Jesus Christ moves out in love and compassion and not with condemnation and points us to himself first as the one who truly satisfies and the one to whom all our sexuality points. So please we go away from today and from this series wanting to grow deeper in our intimacy with him and our relationship with him and allow his good word to work its way out in all the different aspects of life and the way we live for you and the way we live for each other in the church and how we stand up for Jesus and live for Jesus in the world. 
and we ask it for his name's sake. Amen.